with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We know that it's cold out there, uh, but you gave us brilliant sunshine and you gave us a facility with heat. May we never uh, neglect to thank you for the simple things in life. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world that don't even have that. They gather in secret. They gather in the dark. They gather in fear, uh, wondering if the authorities are going to kick down the door and drag them all into prison or, or even something worse. Lord, we, you, you have blessed us so much here in this country. There's a lot wrong with this country, but you have blessed us in this country. We thank you for the freedom that we have at this point to worship you, to come to your house. I pray that we would not neglect that, that we would not think something else is more important, but that we would always um, keep you first in our lives. I thank you for all those who are gathered with us today, as well as those who are unable to be with us, either uh, because of sickness or, or pain or, or something else going on in their life. We know that you are ministering to them as well through your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who binds us together, that your church is a work of art. It's people from all different backgrounds and walks of life that you bring together uh, with your Holy Spirit, bought with the blood of Christ that that is our foundation, and we happily worship you together and look forward to an eternity spent together with you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all the promises that it reveals to us, things that in the darkest and hardest of times we can cling to, we can anchor our souls into. And may we all grow together in the faith and knowledge of our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we are in mid to late February, and if one gardens or farms, there's not much to do right now for this upcoming season's planting season, other than getting the soil ready, maybe getting that fertile again, maybe planning and dreaming of that year's harvest. But when we think of planting and harvesting around here, we think of planting seeds in gardens or fields, giving them what they need, and when it comes time for harvest, picking the vegetables and the fruits off of the branches of plants and trees, or cutting down wheat and other grains out in the fields. We understand how those plant foods grow and are harvested around here because it's done year after year after year. But here are some plant foods that we've heard of, but perhaps you might have heard this before, maybe not, uh, did not know the ways they were harvested. Now, I didn't know these, so don't pick on me if you already knew all these. If you've ever watched, uh, if you've ever cooked Italian dishes or watched Italian cooking shows, you've most likely come across capers. Those salty, tiny, brined things. I don't know what else you'd call them. <laughs> that you top different dishes with. Does anyone know what capers actually are? Okay, I've got, don't yell it out yet. Okay, capers are actually the flower buds of the caper bush that are picked before they bloom into flowers. Now, does this look for... Uh, We've all heard of chickpeas, right? Garbanzo beans, cook with those a lot. Would you believe me that if I told you that this is what chickpeas look like on their plant before they're harvested? Would you believe me? There's a reason why they're called peas. They actually grow inside this green hull, and then they're peeled out of this green hull when they're, when they're mature. And lastly, did anyone know how Brussels sprouts grow? 
Maybe some of you will, I don't even like to eat Brussels sprouts. Why would I care about how they grow? <laughs> they all look, we, we all know they resemble small cabbages, but they don't grow like small cabbages. Instead, they grow as buds and clusters on another stalk with another cabbage growing at the top. These come out as buds all along the stem all the way on the top. The sowing and reaping that Jesus is, is going to be referencing in our message this morning is even way more different than these different plants we just talked about. And uh, as I'm sure you've already guessed, the whole point isn't just about harvesting plants. This conversation comes next in the sequence uh, in the whole experience of Jesus entering Samaria from the area of Judea, very Jewish Judea, on his way up to very Jewish Galilee, and passing through this region of Samaria that wasn't so Jewish. There was hundreds of years of discrimination and man-made barriers of hatred and discrimination between the Jewish people of the two book-ending regions and Samaria in between. He entered Samaria rather than bypass it, as most other people usually did. They usually went through Perea, up through the Decapolis, and into Galilee, vice versa. They completely bypassed the entire region of Samaria. But Jesus entered Samaria because it was God's plan to show that the message of the Messiah was for everyone, regardless of background, ethnicity, race, previous religion, or sin. And there was an even more specific purpose for Jesus going into Samaria and sitting down at Jacob's well. At the precise moment, a certain woman was going to be there to draw up water. This woman lived her entire adult life as sexually promiscuous, being married and divorced five different times and having no intention whatsoever of marrying the man she was currently cohabitating with. Social and religious custom dictated that Jesus, as a prominent Jewish teacher and man, have absolutely nothing to do with her. And yet, Jesus knew that this was the exact person who desperately needed to hear his message of salvation and hope through him as the Messiah. She had chased after everything the world had to offer and the world said would make her happy and found that, as it's always the case, it just left her empty and searching for more. That more was always supposed to be God. That more was always supposed to be a relationship with him through Jesus. It's the same for everyone. No matter what you try to use to fill your innermost being with from what the world offers, you will always be left empty and searching for more. If you continue to fill yourself with what the world can only offer, that more will always be more and more destruction. But if you surrender yourself to the truth and fact that only a growing relationship with God based on a reconciliation bought with the death and resurrection of Jesus to pay for your sin will fulfill that emptiness, you will finally find what you've been searching for. God himself and the purpose, fulfillment, love, peace, hope, and never-ending joy that goes along with him. 
That's exactly what Jesus knew this woman needed and offered to her. Living water, as we referenced uh, about maybe a month or two ago at this point. A never-ending spiritual sustenance for her soul that can only come from the indwelling Holy Spirit and only which will result in eternal life. But Jesus first needed to direct her to the first step to receiving God and this living water. The very first step of any and all of us, and that's repentance. Repentance of our former lives and living for Jesus as king with the rest of our new lives. In this woman's case, it was Jesus revealing to her that he knew the extent of her sexual sin. Rather than get offended, the woman began to understand what Jesus was offering her, got really excited that she had finally found the Messiah and found what she had always been looking for in her innermost being and went to go find the men of the village, those who could be the only ones to corroborate the truth of what Jesus had revealed to her about herself. That's where we left the woman and the men who had been a part of her past adventures last, uh, a couple weeks ago. We'll come back to them and the rest of this Samaritan village next week. But towards the end of the message a couple of weeks ago, which is the conversation we'll be continuing our focus on today, Jesus' disciples, who had gone into the village to buy food, returned to Jesus at the well. While they were surprised to find him talking with a Samaritan woman, and this woman in particular with her reputation, they trusted that nothing inappropriate was going on and that Jesus knew what he was doing. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how there are going to be confusing experiences that we go through in this life. God may reveal his reasons for the whys of these heartbreaking experiences, And we may have to wait until heaven to understand. In any case, we can always trust that God does know. God does know what he's doing. He has his perfect plan. And he has his perfect reasons within that plan. And at the very foundation of every trial we go through, one reason is always this. It's always to stretch our faith to draw us closer to God, and to grow us into spiritual maturity. While Jesus spoke of living water, that is the spiritual sustenance that the Holy Spirit himself, as the bubbling spring of this living water, pours out on our innermost being. While he's speaking of this to the, to the woman, he speaks of spiritual food to his disciples who had returned from the village. This spiritual food is both a reference to partaking in the word of God on a daily basis and doing the work that God has called each and every one of us to. And last, a couple weeks ago, we talked about that if you feel spiritually starved and empty in your innermost being, to focus on these three areas of spiritual nourishment to be full again. Number one, focus on, enjoy, ask for, and rely on the spiritual sustenance that only the Holy Spirit can pour out on your heart, the living 
water, the fruits of the Spirit, that he would grow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control within you. Number two, partake in daily reading of God's word and in connecting with him in prayer as the second area of spiritual sustenance. And number three, actually doing the work that God has called you to do to build up his kingdom, to let go of things that are distracting you from doing God's work. Jesus told his disciples in verse 34, in chapter 4, that he was rejuvenated not by physical food, not by physical water at that point, but from revealing his message of salvation, hope, and peace to this person who desperately needed to hear it. In this morning's passage, Jesus further elaborates on this topic of food, but more specifically on the sowing of seeds and harvest of spiritual food plants type of thing. This further expands on what he just said in verse 34 about doing God's work being the third crucial area for spiritual sustenance. Since what we're covering today is almost like Jesus says, what he says in verse 34 takes a short break and continues on in that same line of thinking. I want to go back and start with verse 34 again and then flow directly into this morning's passage that starts in verse 35. So if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be picking up in verse 34. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 4. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can look it up in the table of contents, ask a neighbor, there's no shame in that. Or you can look this up on your uh, favorite Bible app on your smartphone. I want all of us to see this together. John chapter 4, verse 34, we read, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Then he goes on to say, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? This, this is what we read during our scripture reading. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for the harvest. When Jesus says, do you not say, it's not Jesus directly referencing something only his disciples said, but probably something that was a common Jewish proverb that was often said about the waiting period in between when a farmer sows seed and when a crop is ready to harvest. It may have meant something similar to a phrase today such as, well, you know, these things take time, or... Uh, you know, it's no use trying to rush things, so just be patient. It's along those same lines. Jesus is not negating that that is the way some things work in life. But similar to his conversation with the Samaritan woman about where was the correct place to worship God, here Jesus is making a, sh a declaration of a shift in God's plan for the world. In that conversation, Jesus was making the declaration that there would be a time, and indeed was now already, very similar to the language he uses in verse 35 of this morning's passage, that people wouldn't worship God in a temple anywhere, but would worship him through Jesus, or the truth, and the spirit, 
or the Holy Spirit working within someone. That's what he means when he says the time will come and is already here when those who love God will worship him in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus as the truth and through the Holy Spirit working within someone. It's a similar declaration here where there was a period of time of waiting between the last words of the last prophet before the 400 years of prophetic silence between the Old Testament and New Testament, that time is over. In fact, the time is now for people's spiritual eyes to be open to see Jesus as the Messiah, which was what a bunch of people were on the way out of their Samaritan village to look for. While the barley harvest usually resulted in white heads, turning a harvest-ready field into nothing but white, One biblical scholar even posited that the white clothing of the Samaritan people who were already within view coming towards Jesus and his disciples based on the woman's testimony could have been a play on what Jesus was getting at too. Here were people who didn't need any waiting period. They were spiritually hungry and they were searching. They only needed to be told about Jesus as their Messiah and they were ready for the Holy Spirit to open their spiritual eyes and put their faith in that truth for their eternal salvation. And a lot of times today, there are certain people where there is no waiting period. They are already ripe to hear the gospel message because the road that God has taken them down up to that point has prepared them to hear it and put their faith in it. In other words, one part of what Jesus is saying here is that if someone you can see as you're talking to them is ready to hear the gospel message of salvation found in Jesus, do not waste any more time. They're ready. Don't wait for a better time because there may never be as good of a time as you find yourself in with this person. Go straight for it. God has been preparing their hearts to hear it and follow through with it. Don't get nervous or scared. To borrow from Nike's slogan, just do it. There won't be a better time for the field is already ripe for harvest. In this context, Jesus is telling his disciples as he sees this crowd of Samaritan people walking towards them, here we go, boys, now is the time. There will not be a better time. There may be people in your life who you can see are ready to hear the hope of trusting Jesus with their eternity. God has been preparing them, and you can plainly see they're ripe. There have been times when I've had conversations with different people and the circumstances they have been currently going through have led them right up to having that conversation with me and I can just hear it in their voice that they're ready to hear the gospel message. Maybe you've had similar conversations or you will very soon because that's how God works. Don't wait any longer for a better time. Just go for it. You have no clue if another better time will ever come around again, and you will have no clue how much time that person has in this life to hear it from you and make a decision about it before it's too late and they take their last breath. The phrase, lift up your eyes, was simply a Jewish saying to mean, hey, 
Get your nose out of your own problems and look around you. In that case, it's look all around you. There are people all around you. People in your family, your circles of friends or co-workers or neighbors or just someone you make small talk with in a doctor's waiting room or a grocery store checkout lane. There are people all around you just ripe and ready to hear Jesus' message of salvation and eternal hope. Don't wait another second. You may never see them again. If not you, then who else? Guess what? God is trusting you with this. You might have been or are currently being held hostage by the fear, what if I say something wrong? What if I mess it up? What if I ruin their chances of ever putting their faith in Jesus? We've all thought that from time to time. There's a very freeing truth that Jesus references next in our passage this morning, that Paul also references in his letter to the Corinthian church. That truth is this. Whatever you say is not going to be what saves that person's soul. Whatever you say is not going to be what saves that person's soul. You cannot convince someone well enough and you cannot somehow ruin their chances of believing it unless, you know, you're just being a complete jerk about it. What you are is a part of a process in that person's life. Why? That's why it's so important that you share the truth of Jesus every time you can. We're going to get to the why in a second. That process is what Jesus references next. Verses 36 through, 28, through 38. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. There's oftentimes a process in a person's life. One person decades ago may have planted the first seed in their minds about Jesus. They scoffed at it at the time. They didn't want to have anything to do with it at the time. Years later, another person plants another seed about Jesus. They weren't in the right season of their lives to hear it again, though. All this time, though, God has been orchestrating events in that person's life to bring them to a place where everyone else thinks that person is a lost cause. There's no way they'll have anything to do with church or religion or God. You might even think about that specific person in your mind right now. But you heed God's call to tell them one more time about Jesus. And this time, they're ripe. They're ready to hear it. And they put their faith in Jesus. What if you didn't? What if you let fear hold you back? God would still have his plan, but what else happens here? You would have lost out on that plan you would have lost out on being a part of that plan in that person's life. That's the wages 
or the reward Jesus refers to in verse 36. You might, say, you might think to yourself, well, what's the point if God's going to save that person eventually anyway? What's the point if I tell them or somebody else does? The point is that you'll either gain and enjoy the spiritual and emotional celebration of leading one more person out of the chains and darkness of this world and their own sin into the freedom and salvation of Jesus and knowing you are a huge part of that or you'll just keep missing out on all of it. Reaping what fear and perhaps your own selfishness will earn you. The point is that you'll either gain and enjoy the eternal reward that Jesus himself gives to those who served him with their lives, or you'll have everything you did in life burned up. And as Paul tells the Corinthian church, You'll feel like you just escaped a burning house by the skin of your teeth with only the clothes on your back. I'm so, that's not how I want to feel standing before Jesus. Is that how you want to feel standing before Jesus? I don't think any one of us want to say that. Paul tells the Corinthian church, but on the judgment day, Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. That's each of us. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that person, that building, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but just like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. There is so much spiritual and emotional reward, both in this life and the next if we participate in this process of planting the seeds of the gospel in others' lives, and so much reward to lose if we don't. Coming back to being a part of the process and that being a source of peace for us, Jesus references two types of Jesus-sharing people, the sowers and the reapers. Those who sow their whole lives and never reap have it harder. They may not ever see the fruits of their labors their entire lives. As one biblical scholar noted, the Old Testament prophets never saw the Messiah they prophesied about. And John the Baptist spent his earthly ministry sowing the seeds of putting one's faith in Jesus of Nazareth, but was martyred well before he could witness the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Were any of, the, of these people failures? In God's kingdom, because they never really got to harvest any fruit of saving souls through Jesus? Getting a lot of blank stares here. Were any of them failures? No, not at all. They were all vital parts of the process. And they will be rewarded in the next life just as much as those who harvest. The only failures are the ones who never open their mouths. The only failures are the ones who let fear hold them back or simply just don't care about sharing Jesus with anyone else. It's the cold, hard truth, but it's the truth nonetheless. If you're fearful, I'm sorry, but that's not an excuse anymore. Ask God for the courage to start doing this and he will give it to you. 
The Old Testament prophets and John the Baptist are most likely the ones Jesus had in mind in verse 38 as the ones who sowed and labored in the sowing of seeds, but have since entered, or in John the Baptist's case, very soon would enter their eternal rest. The disciples, who Jesus is telling all of this to now, are the ones who, because now was the time, were to do the reaping and harvesting through Jesus' ministry. But both the sowers and the reapers would someday enter into their eternal rest, receive their reward for their hard work for God's kingdom, and rest knowing that they gave it their all. Do you want to have that same thought, that same feeling as you enter your eternal rest? I gave it my all. I did everything I could. Meanwhile, in this life, the reapers or harvesters get to enjoy the spiritual and emotional highs of leading one more soul into God's kingdom. Jesus says the angels in heaven celebrate over one more lost sheep that gets brought into the fold. So if the angels in heaven are throwing a party, why shouldn't we? You get to see the look on their faces when they finally get it. And the release of years of emotional burdens when they finally give everything over to God and leave it in their hands. You get to be the starting point of that person's new journey with God and help them grow in their new faith. And there's this refreshing outlook you get from someone who has just been freed from the changes of this world and starts seeing things in a brand new way. Those of you who have had these conversations with people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this refreshing outlook that you get. And at the end of all of it, you get the same eternally worthwhile reward from Jesus as those who did the sowing. Here's the point. You have no clue whether you will be another sower in someone's life or whether you will get to enjoy being the harvester in someone's life. All you have to do is try, is plant the seed. All you have to do is inject the hope of Jesus into your conversations with people. And if they're at all receptive, all you have to do is tell them more about Jesus, what he means to you, and how they can have his same peace, hope, and joy too. All you can do is just share Jesus and see what God does with it. If you get yelled at, cursed out, shunned, given the cold shoulder, told to shut up, told to mind your own business, guess what? That's okay. That's all part of the process. You've done what you've needed to do. You planted the seed. It's now all up to God as to what he's going to do with it. Just as our salvation begins and ends with God, everyone else's salvation begins and ends with God. It's the exact same process for someone else as it was for us. Others planted seeds in our lives until God determined it was time for his Holy Spirit to work in our hearts finally open our spiritual eyes to see the truth and lead us to himself. And so, spoiler alert, it's the same for everyone else. Paul explains this clearly, again, to the Corinthian church. Paul founded the church in Corinth 
And then another gospel teacher named Apollos came and helped build up the church further in the faith and knowledge of Jesus. But Paul reveals this. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news, the gospel. Each of us did the work God gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. Stick that in your mind. It was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. We're all a part of this process. So again, just as Jesus says in our passage this morning, yes, it's crucially important to plant the seeds in others' hearts, to water them with more testimony of how God is working in our lives and even bringing them to a church service or event and then harvesting those souls for God by leading them to put their faith in Jesus. But ultimately... Who is the one making any of those seeds sprout in the first place or growing them into tiny, tiny seedlings or eventually growing them into harvestable, food-bearing plants? Who is it? God. So you, you know what that tells us? We will never be perfect in our conversations about Jesus with others. So don't expect yourself to be perfect when in your conversations about Jesus with others. We probably will not say all the right things. We may feel like we've ruined everything and made it so that person will never put their faith in Jesus. But are any of those legitimately, uh, legitimate thoughts we should be thinking? No. Why? Because God is the one who is, charge, who is in charge of if any seeds that are planted will remain seeds that just die or will eventually sprout. You're not the one in control. If you actually open your mouth and you actually share the truth of Jesus in his love, then you can just confidently leave the actual word said or the way the other person responds or what happens with it down the road entirely in God's hands. You cannot mess it up. All right? You cannot mess it up. All you can do and all God wants you to do is to try in his love. It's his plan. All of this is God's plan. It's his decision about whether or not he's chosen to save someone. It's his way that he's provided for anyone to come to him through Jesus and Jesus alone. He calls each and every one of us to participate in his work and work for his kingdom. And when we do that, we can trust him to do what we do as he to do with what we do as he pleases. He is the king after all, is he not? 
And that's the peace we have when we talk to others about Jesus. So, don't be discouraged. If you've planted seeds in someone's life for years and years and years, nothing's happening. And don't be discouraged if someone doesn't want to ever listen to you as you try to plant seeds. If God wants to bring that person to salvation, he will make it in his timing. And we can trust him with that. And if he has chosen not to bring that person to salvation, it won't happen. And guess what? It's not your fault. That is up to God. And we can still trust him even with that difficult truth. Either way, the result is up to him. We just plant the seeds and leave the results up to him. Again, as an expansion of what Jesus already said in verse 34, us sharing the truth and love of Jesus with others is also a part of our spiritual sustenance. If we're never sharing him with anyone, and we don't feel the best spiritually, well, no wonder. This could very well be why. It's all connected. It's all part of our spiritual life and spiritual growth. So if we actually plant seeds and actually tell others about Jesus in love, and therefore we can't mess it up, and it's part of our spiritual lives and growth, we know what Jesus wants us to be doing now, don't we? That was really half-hearted, you guys. <laughs> we now know what Jesus wants us to be doing, amen? amen? So let's do it. Let's inject what Jesus has done for us and what he can do for others in the conversations we have with them. Let's know that the hard work of planting the seeds of the gospel will always, always gain reward Ultimately, reward straight from Jesus himself at the end of all of it. And let's enter into our eternal rest with no regrets, knowing we did everything we could to serve God and his kingdom, plant the seeds of his message of salvation, and do the work he wanted us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouraging inspiring and emboldening passage. I pray that if there's anybody here who has let fear hold them back, maybe has let their own selfishness hold them back from sharing the truth of Jesus that they know they need to share with somebody else, I pray that you would reveal to them, that you would strengthen them with the peace and the truth of knowing that it's not up to them. All they need to do is plant the seeds and trust the result with you. You are the one who makes the seeds grow. You are the one that makes those seedlings grow and into plants that are harvestable. Lord, may we find our rest in that. And may we go forth with the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit to share this message of hope of, that can only be found in Jesus with the people you've put into our lives. That we may be part of that process of leading that person to you and that we may gain that eternal reward in the process. And I pray all these things in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.